episode two of Anesthesia Guidebook. I recently sat down with a good friend and colleague of mine, Matt Poyer, to discuss dexmedetomidine, brand name Presidex. Right up front, Matt covers the core pharmacology and dosing of dexmedetomidine, and then we get into a bit of the art of using this medication perioperatively. While dexmedetomidine has been around since 1999, it remains an underutilized medication for many anesthesia providers, probably due to their lack of comfort with its pharmacodynamics and dosing. The benefits of and uses of dexmedetomidine are numerous. From its efficacy as an anxiolytic and sedative in both sedation and general anesthesia cases, to its ability to preserve respiratory function while facilitating sleep-like sedation, to its analgesic sparing properties and predictable cardiac response. Hopefully this quick rundown will help you gain confidence in incorporating dexmedetomidine into your practice. If I was a chef, I would say it's one of my favorite ingredients to cook with. It's a medication that I hope you gain confidence with because there are so many situations in patient populations where skillful use of dexmedetomidine will facilitate outcomes that would have been harder or maybe even impossible to achieve with other medications. Now, could you get the job done without dexmedetomidine? Sure. You could go your whole career and not use this medication. But if you master it, it will help you take your practice to a deeper level adding an element of elegance and gracefulness to your perioperative game that your friends will surely be jealous of. They'll ask you, where did you learn that? And you can tell them all about Anesthesia Guidebook on your 15-minute break as you try to pound as much K-cup coffee and graham crackers and peanut butter as possible. All right, let me introduce you to Matt, and then we're going to get right to it. Matt Poyer is a nurse anesthetist at Maine Medical Center, a level one trauma center in Portland, Maine. He obtained his Bachelor of Science in Nursing from the University of Southern Maine and his Master of Science in Nursing Anesthesia from the University of New England. Prior to Matt's nursing career, he attended Assumption College in Worcester, Massachusetts, and obtained a Bachelor of Arts in Biology and Chemistry, and subsequently worked as both an analytic and synthetic chemist. And with that, let's get to the podcast. Well, Matt Poyer, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. We're here to talk about dexmedetomidine, and right up front, I'd love to give a, a quick rundown on just like the core pharmacology stuff for folks that might pick up the podcast and want just a, a brief review. So give us a rundown on stuff like the mechanism of action, the typical dosing, pharmacodynamics, that kind of stuff. Cool, man. Yeah, uh, it's an alpha-2 agonist uh, sedative. So um, the way it works is it binds to presynaptic alpha-2 receptors and inhibits norepinephrine and catecholamine release. It's selective for alpha-2 at about 1,600 to 1, so over alpha-1. The onset of it is about 5 to 10 minutes uh, IV, and you can give it intranasally uh, 45 to 60 minutes uh, if you give it intranasally. Peak effects in 15 to 30 minutes uh, and 90 to 105 for intranasal. Uh, Elimination half-life, 2 to 3 hours, and the half-time is dose-dependent, so it's important to remember if you're running an infusion versus a bolus dose, uh, it's four minutes uh, after a 10-minute infusion, and it increases to 250 minutes after eight hours. So just keep that in mind when you're running your infusions. It's going to take longer to, to wear off. Interesting. Yeah, so what, what would the typical bolus dose be for like IV? Did you say that? I, I missed that. I did not say that. So a typical do- dose uh, IV for bolus is 0.5 to 1 mics per kilo. And you'll see some literature too. And uh, if you're talking about pediatric uh, you know, post-op delirium with SIVO, uh, it's lower. It can be like 0.2 or 0.3 because if you're doing these shorter cases, um, you don't want to give 
you know, a bigger dose and then you have more time to pack you. Yeah. Yeah. 0.2 to 0.3 mics per kilo. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Great. And then, so that's a bolus dose. Are you given that like over 10 minutes, like the manufacturer recommends, or is this something that you like, I know in, in anesthesia world, we tend to give things faster. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what I tend to do is think about what I'm going to give, how much I'm going to give, and I'm going to break it up by either a half to a quarter and give it at a time. And, and you can even wait. What I'll do is I'll wait a minute you know, if you're given 20, give 10, then wait a minute and give 10. If you're given 40, you can do the same thing. You know, if you push it all at once is where you see the, the what they talk about with the side effects of bradycardia. And recently when we were just talking about it earlier, but you know, I've gotten a little more uh, comfortable pushing more and I've pushed, yeah. you know, 30 or 40 at a time. And I've gotten, you know, transient hypertension, nothing that is dangerous or, you know, will cause any, any negative effects, but you know, you see your heart rate drop to from 60 to 50 to 40 and your blood pressure goes up from 120 to 150. Yeah. Um, and I'm not quite sure if that's because of the bradycardia and some sort of comp, you know, um, um, Convinced you know, mechanism. yeah. Or if it's, you know, overpowering the alpha two, um, selection and maybe have a little alpha one. Right. 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 There too. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. So 0.2 to 0.3 mics per kilo for pediatric and then 0.5 mics per kilo up to one mic per kilogram bolus. Yep. And then what's like a typical infusion rate that you would say? Uh, it's it, a lot of the literature I saw and the way I run it is like 0.5 to one mics per kilo per hour. Um, you can go up to 1.4 and I've seen some, some people even go up to two. I think that's a little bit much, but yeah, like 0.5 to, to one is a good place to start, you know, because of the longer onset, um, you kind of just want to pick a dose and set it, stay with it for a little bit, and then you can crank it up or crank it down. Uh, but it's something that you can't just don't expect that immediate reaction when you're titrating it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's going to take a little bit for, for you to see the effects either yeah. up or down. And I think that's the key point when you talk about like bolus dosing. If you're going from, from nothing, like in, in pre-op where, you know, you're not, just for an example, if you're not using Versed or Propofol or anything like that, you're just on a clean dosing regimen using dexmedetomidine. I mean, it, the onset time is real. Like it takes five to 10 minutes to start yeah. seeing that effect. No, and it is and that's kind of a weird thing for anesthesia providers. Cause we're used to like push something immediate effect. Yeah. How you feeling on the way back? I feel the same. <laughs> it gets the door. How you feeling? I feel the same, you know, and then you get them over the bed and then, and then they're kind of like, okay, I know what you're talking about. And then you start the infusion and you see them kind of you know, lose consciousness or drift off a little bit. And that's when, and that's when you wake them up. You're like, how you doing? Oh, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. You know, I'm feeling sedated now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but if you give it, if you give just straight dexamethamine without any propofol, without any Versed, I'm not saying you can't, you know, can't give the two, the of two course together. Uh, but if you just using that, don't be surprised. Um, if you, if you're kind of, uh, you know, if especially the first time you're like, okay, is this really going to work? You know? Right, right, right. That, that it will work. Yeah. That 10 minute onset <laughs> time is real. So, yeah. So you, you taught on dexmedetomidine at the Maine Association of Nurse Anesthetists. What got you interested in teaching other CRNAs about uh, dexmedetomidine? Uh, so, I mean, I've been using it. Uh, I've been practicing for seven years. I remember the first we started using it for uh, post-op delirium in kids, you know, dental cases, you know, shorter, shorter pediatric procedures where we're not giving a lot of other meds and we want to make sure that they wake up nice and comfortable and go home. Uh, and then, um, started to use it with, uh, you know, procedural sedation for our, our spinals, for our knees. So, you know, um, not wanting to give a general anesthetic with like 150 mics per kilo per minute of propofol, getting sick of doing jaw thrusts and putting oral airways in. Interesting. You know, how can I make this better? Right. Um, and then just talking with my colleagues about it, uh, I kind of found that I was using it more than some other people and in turn, people were asking me questions about it. And so I figured, 
you know, this is a good opportunity to learn a little bit more about it, see where, you know, I'm, I'm using it in this sort of limited capacity. How else can I use it? Sort of evolve those conversations I have with my colleagues and then it kind of turned into a talks. Uh, Michael Dunnington yeah, yeah. asked me to ask me, Hey man, you seem to like text a lot. You want to talk about it? And I said, sure. Nice. So what, what are the special characteristics or the things that, you know, that you find interesting? Like what, where's the applicability? When do you reach for dexmedetomidine over what I think a lot of CRNAs are, are comfortable with, which is like propofol bolus, propofol infusion. Yeah. Where, where does the benefit, you, you were saying, you know, can I do this in a, in a more eloquent way or in a better way? What are the cases or what are the elements about dexmedetomidine that make you want to reach for it? Um, I like it for procedural sedation in shorter cases. Uh, say you got sort of a dental extraction, you got a frail elderly person, you know, you want to get them through that local and through the case, but you don't want to give them, obviously you don't want to give them Versed, right? And maybe plus or minus fentanyl. Uh, you know, if you give a half to even a full mic per kilo slowly in the your holding room or whatever your preoperative room is, let that actually swish around and work and get back to the OR. You give them 10, 20 milligrams of propofol for the local, they usually do pretty well. They're not getting disinhibited after, after the prop wears off. You know, they're not uh, obstructing. Um, they're not going apneic. And it's just, it's a lot cleaner. Um, I'm not saying it works that way every time because we know, yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah. you know, tomorrow I'll probably try to use it and then I'll have some disaster. But uh, right. yeah, it, 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 it's a cleaner that way. Um, and it's, uh, I've also used it like we were talking about with the spinals, you know. Uh, so you got a spinal, you got a patient that's awake in the OR. And the culture where we work is usually it's a general anesthesia, no airway. You know, we're running probe at 100 to 150, and we're not putting an LMA in. I bolus decks like 0.5 to 1 mics per kilo. Yep. Um, and then I'll find that instead of running my, my probe at 100 to 125 to 150, and like, like I said, doing jaw thrusts and um, dealing with that whole rigmarole, um, I find that I'm running at 50, 25, 30, you know, and they're still unconscious and they're still comfortable. They're not waking up. Um, and there's less respiratory depression Yeah, and, um, less so, in, so in those cases, like for a spinal, for a, a knee or a hip replacement, you're running dexmedetomidine alone or in conjunction with, uh, so I'll, I'll give it as a bolus dose and then I'll run the probe infusion. Okay. Yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah. So been more clear about that. I've, I have run it as just an infusion yep. too. You know, somebody that has a history of post-op cognitive dysfunction or that does have Alzheimer's or yep. something or some other issue that, um, you know, they're requesting, Hey, then they're really into, you know, look, I, I don't want this anesthetic to affect me or I want it to affect me as little as possible. Yep. So I've ran a dexmedetomidine infusion just solely. Uh, and right. Um, I got up to, I think, 1.4 for that. Uh, yeah, I yeah. gave, you know, a bolus up front. Yeah. I, I've also done something similar where on our lower extremity joint replacements, instead of using propofol, using dexmedetomidine, so doing an incremental bolus <clears throat> at the start of the case and then getting an infusion going. And it is maybe a little bit more, like, uncomfortable for the team as they're setting up, right? Because they're like, whoa, we're used to this patient being, like, lights out, you know? Yeah. And so it takes that kind of setup time. But then you're able to titrate it like you would any other infusion, you know, and you yep. get them to that sweet spot to where, you know, they're not waking up with kind of like a loud noise in the room. But if you touch their shoulder and say, hey, Mr. So-and-so, like they'll wake up and interact with you, but maintain that like ability to breathe through the case. And uh, I feel like they're, they're a little bit more cognitively clear than just being snowed by a protocol. Oh, definitely. It, uh, it's important to remember, like we were talking about with the onset, that, you know, like the staff setting expectations that this patient's not going to be like asleep when we hit the room. Also the patient, you know, until they start to lose consciousness, like I mentioned earlier, they're, they're not going to feel, especially if they had multiple procedures yeah. and they've always gotten versed. You know, you get those oh, right. people that have had right. 
multiple anesthetics and they're always getting Versed or you can tell they're always getting Versed because you talk to them about it. Yeah. Or, or they got a heavy Mac with propofol. This is going to be a different experience for them. You might even, depending on, you know, their anxiety level, coach them through that. Right. Uh, you know, yeah, there's the patients. Early. Yeah, there's early. Start it, give it early. Like when we do spinals out in pre-op, I'll give it after the spinal's done. Yeah. Before the, before the OR nurse shows up and we do it, we check the patient in. Yeah, that's know, interesting. And that way you just get it on early and it, it works a lot better yeah, that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like uh, good patient expectations is important, especially for those folks who are like, normally I'm, I'm totally yeah. out of it I by now. I didn't remember this last time. <laughs> and you're like, well, yeah. we're doing something different. So, yeah. uh, and so uh, talk to me about pediatric patients. How do you shift gears with dexmedetomidine when you're taking care of little kids? Um, just mostly for, uh, you know, emergence delirium. Uh, so towards the end of the case, you know, uh, maybe 15 or 20 minutes before it's over, or even at the beginning of the case, if it's a shorter case, um, you can go ahead and give, you know, 0.2, 0.3, 0.5, be careful with more than 0.5. Uh, like I said, I'm not, I'm not an expert on all this, but when the, when I've seen patients spend extended ties and pack you, it's cause you give a mic per kilo. Um, yeah. in addition to if you give some, some opiates or some longer acting opiates, that's somewhere you to get, you know, your pack you full up and they're not yeah. too happy with you. Yeah. Um, but you give that towards the end of the case. And then what I'll do is, you know, I, I tend to underdose on the shorter cases and outpatient. And then, um, if they wake up and they're super cranky, I'll give them like a couple of CCs of propofol and then yeah. give some more decks. And so that kind of buys you time. Interesting. You know, and, and, yeah. and if they, if they wake up and they're thrashing and they're clearly, you know, Having having issues there, you you can you, know, you feel comfortable giving them more at that point rather than not knowing how it's going to go and then overdosing them. Yeah, you know, or if you have a conversation with whoever you're working with, like, look, this kid went to sleep hard. Um, this you know didn't spit the verset out at us. Uh, you know, maybe we give a little bit more. Right, right, right. That's yeah. interesting. Let's talk a little bit about you know at our hospital how Dex comes because I think that's going to be a variable for CRNAs and other <clears throat> anesthesia providers who are out yep. there who may be listening, we have this basically in like three modalities. We've got like the super concentrated, what is it, like a CC? And 200 per two CC, so it's 100 mics per CC. Right. So you dilute that with 48 CCs of saline and you get your four mics. I've never seen it um, described in any literature, anything more than four mics per CC in terms of how your infusion, your concentrations are. Yeah. So in the, you know, it's probably a good idea to keep it that way and, and you know, in regards to just consistency. Right. But yeah, so we got that, we've got the, um, the 200 per 50. So it's four mics per CC. Yeah. Um, it. yeah it's a vial. It's a bottle rather. And they're about the same price. Um, yep. so don't feel guilty about cracking open a bottle. Like you're going to save money at least, at least per up to date, you know, I'm sure every right. institution is right. different. Uh, and then there is a, I've seen at one of the outpatient surgery centers that work at, at 80 and 20, uh, interesting mics per mils. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think the typical ones that, you know, that we see are the 202 yeah. vial and then the one that you don't have to dilute. Yeah. And then our pharmacy has made pre-filled syringes, which are interesting because they used to do one CC pre-filled syringe at four mics. Yeah. And once they, I think, facilitated that, like, oh, we've got decks and pre-filled syringes. So one, it's easier. You're not having to do math or like mix down a bottle or a little vial. You feel like you're not wasting as much, right? Because yeah. you're using like maybe three or four cc's versus, you know, a 50 cc, uh, you know, syringe or suspension or whatever. But I think once they once they actually created those pre-filled syringes, people started using them a lot more. Yeah. And then they shifted to two and a half mil, same concentration, four mics per mil. So two and a half mil syringes. 
at 10 mics total in the syringe so that you can get a little bit more distance with the syringe. So we've yeah. got those in pre-filled syringes as well, which I think uh, you talk about like the benefits of dexmedetomidine and the, the use for it for CRNAs and other anesthesia providers working with your pharmacy to like get it packaged in a way that's accessible, I think will make it easier for people to, to find some functionality with it. I think that's definitely a significant contributing factor in why people feel comfortable using it. You know, these small vials, they can use one, they can use two, they can use three. It's not like, I don't know how to use this and I'm going to crack open this whole vial and maybe it's going to work. Maybe it's not. And I just wasted this. Right. Right. And also I'm going to crack open this vial and only use 20. And I just wasted 180 or, right. you know, something along those lines. If you make it more accessible and the doses that you're going to use, I think you'll find that, you know, you'll feel more comfortable using it if you haven't used it before and other people yeah. will too. You were saying before we hit record though, that it does feel kind of awkward if you're using those pre-filled syringes like on an adult and you've got like, <laughs> you're in pre-op with like five syringes and you're pushing stuff and people are like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like what? that? That's a lot of syringes, sir. A lot what of are syringes. you doing? <laughs> you know? or just, even in the OR, I've, I've had like circulators look at me like, okay, here we go. You know, it's like three, four, five. And people are like, what? What's he what doing? What's he did? Don't he have okay. something that works better? It usually works okay when I'm in this room. So just give it a second. It works out. Give it 10 to 15 minutes and yeah, it'll be yeah. okay. Usually things work out in the OR. Well, that's awesome, man. Do you, do you think about dexmedetomidine in terms of limiting opioids? Like, is it, do you think about it in terms of its opioid sparing effects? I, I definitely use it in those cases. And there's, there's studies to show that it, um, you know, will decrease inflammatory markers too. And I do use it in people that are definitely that they're on Suboxone or that they're taking a bunch of opiates uh, during the case. It's a great way to um, uh, just anecdotally recently, I had a younger guy was having this big complex knee surgery, um, ACL, MCL, two orthopods in the room uh, and, uh, you know, LMA uh, gave some narcotics and I gave enough narcotics where I'm like, I'm out. Like, I don't want to give any more till this guy yeah. wakes up. And his pressure was high and they were complaining about it in the field. Like he was bleeding, you know, bleeding in the field. Yeah. So I said, you know, I'm going to start a dexmedetomidine infusion and you'll read about it too being used uh, in sort of science cases. Like, you know, like sometimes we use propofol to like keep the pressure down. Right. Uh, so I ran it and I ran it at one, I think for the whole case. And it was an LMA. So I just pulled the LMA at the end. He woke up in recovery. Um, he was uncomfortable. They gave him some, some opiates. Yeah. You know, but it definitely, it dropped his pressure enough where they were happy in the field. Right. And, uh, and you know, I'd like to think he took less opiates when he woke up. He had a block too. Uh, right. But it was, it was a pretty complex surgery. So it wasn't a complete surgical anesthesia. Yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. I was talking with one of the guys that we work with that, you know, regional fellowship trained physician anesthesiologist. And he said he definitely thinks of it more of, uh, as an anesthetic than an analgesic. Like it's obviously not something you're going to reach for and pack you if the patient's in pain and be yeah. like, Oh, I'm going to give some dexmedetomidine. Like it's not an analgesic, but it has opioid sparing analgesic effects that if you're looking at like a full multimodal package, that it might be, uh, you know, a reasonable choice to layer into your anesthesia plan mm-hmm. uh, in terms of its opioid sparing effects. And we can put some links to studies and stuff that show um, some of those opioid sparing effects for dexmedetomidine. Talk to us briefly about the side effects. What can you tell us more about managing bradycardia and, and hypotension or hypertension associated with dexmedetomidine? Uh, hypertension is transient and um, really should just kind of resolve on its own. You know, bradycardia, as long as the patient's tolerating it, you know, just be cautious in giving more or giving... Uh, more for that period of time. Uh, you know, did find some cases where with, with complete cardiovascular collapse and cardiac arrest. And one of the themes in those um, was you're running like 200 of propofol or a MAC of gas and 
a mic per kilo per hour of dex metatomy. Yeah. So you've almost got, I mean, there's no real Mac for dex because, you know, it's not a complete anesthetic, but, um, or, you know, it's not an anesthetic in and of itself that you can do a general with. Yeah. But, um, you know, almost like two general, you know, it's like when you're running propofol for anti-emetic effect and slowly it creeps up to 100 and you got a full Mac of gas, like that's too much anesthesia. Right, right, right. And so it seemed like that was the case, like uh, concomitant, you know, infusions of that and with other meds that are also adding to your anesthetic depth. And it's just, you know, yeah. too much anesthesia. We and get, maybe too much, too much at once, right. you know, with syringe, uh, um, sort of resuscitation just revolved around ACLS. They didn't really have any specific yeah. like antidote, yeah. you know, I'm sure I would reach for like epinephrine earlier, maybe, you know, people were giving bradycardia, uh, the, the, um, sorry, the atropine for bradycardia. And, yeah. and then I think all the other, the cases I saw just, it progressed to epi, yeah, yeah. but they, they yeah. were all saying that they managed it with ACLS. Yeah. Um, I think most of the bradycardia comes on with high bolus doses that happen pretty quickly you're more likely to see that so i think that's why the red, the manufacturer recommends that mic per kilo over o- 10 minutes over 10 yeah. minutes just to give it slow and of course as anesthesia providers we love pushing stuff fast mm-hmm. i have found at your point to you know is the patient tolerating it is a good one if their blood pressure is fine then maybe it's no big deal you know i found a little bit of ephedrine or glycopyrrolate to help bump that heart rate back up uh, can help smooth everything over yeah you got any info on cost? Is this like a, are we, are we acting like this is like Remy fentanyl or in a super expensive or is this, you know, essentially equivalent to propofol or where, where are we, where are we falling in terms of cost? I think the breakdown is about $50 per 200 mics, to, whether you take the undiluted or the diluted. Okay. Uh, and you know, if you, you know, if you're buying or buying the vials that are 80 mics per 20 mils, yeah. it might be a little bit more. But that's about it. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know what people are getting charged. I don't know what everyone's purchase agreements are. Of course. Uh, you know, but certainly when you consider, you know, when, when I consider how much I've integrated into my practice and I give it on at least a weekly, if not, a, I wouldn't say daily, but at least a yeah. weekly basis, um, I'd say it's well worth, you know, unless you're, you're super tight on your finances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, probably from the perioperative environment, it, it may not be cost prohibitive in terms of using it uh, to augment your other plans. But I, I guess I could see if you're running, you know, if you're running an infusion for days on somebody in the ICU, maybe yeah. you start to think about like ramping up the cost on everything. Well, and I mean, a lot of us used DEX back in the ICU maybe 10 years ago when it was probably more, you know, I don't have any data on the cost yeah. back then. Yeah. So I think some of the amazing things, you know, in terms of wrapping up or to sound off on it are that dexmedetomidine, it, it gives your patients that sweet spot of like cognitive sedation and that you can get them in that position where they look as like they're, they are asleep until you stimulate them. And then like they'll wake up and interact with you and you leave them alone and they go right back to sleep. Yeah. And it's amazing. Like they're not gorged from, from getting a propofol infusion or something like that. And then, uh, and then there's less respiratory depression with it, which is excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you want folks to know about dexmedetomidine before we sound off? Um, so, you know, just a couple other cases where it's useful. They're using it for TAVRs, for TAVR sedation. Uh, and also, um, I find it really useful in like the vascular, endovascular room. You know, if you're having an endovascular MAC case, because it just gives you that, it, it gives you the smoother hemodynamics. Like you're not getting the highs and the lows. Um, you know, where you find yourself sometimes in an awake patient with a blood pressure of 180 and somebody with a giant catheter in their artery, yeah. you know, so it, it'll sedate them. You know, a lot of times these people have a lot of other comorbid issues. Um, yeah, yeah. and, um, just circle back to the, you know, the, um, cardiac arrest and all that one, you know, 
Um, would caution the use in those patients if they have significantly decreased cardiac function in terms of either dose, speed of bolus, or both. Right. Because uh, you know that you're already having somebody who's, you know, who's got an, an issue and yeah. maybe their EF isn't great or got other issues. Yeah. But yeah. So for the, for the SRNA or the CRNA or the physician anesthesiologist or resident out there who's listening, who might, after this podcast, be thinking, I'm going to pull out some decks, but it's still a little on the fence. What's your sound off? Like, what do you, what do you want them to think about? Um, give it early. Uh, start, I would say, in procedural sedation cases like I gave, you know, the dental case or a case where you would usually use propofol or Versed or fentanyl or a combination of those and have your patient awake. That way you can, you know, give it early, give a half a mic to a mic per kilo if it's not a longer case. If it's a longer case, put in like 0.5 and see how it reduces the dose of the other anesthetics that you would typically yeah. give and sort of work from there. Yeah. You know what I mean? But give it early. You know, if you get in the room, if you get them over the bed, if the surgeon's got local in their hand, you give dex, it's way too late. And you're going to be like, this stuff doesn't work. And I get, <laughs> I get it. Cause we've all been there, right? We've all yeah, given, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you're yeah. like, Oh, it's time for that. Oh, you know, <laughs> I'm not yeah. ready for that. Right. Right. Uh, so yeah, give it early, uh, sedation cases, see how it decreases your other anesthetics. And I think you'll find that there's, I, I think it would very little, very few people will find that there isn't a benefit to using it. Just, it matters you know, how much you want to go from there and what it costs. And, yeah, you know, totally. Like that. Oh man, that's a great sound off. Well, Matt Poyer, thanks so much, man, for joining us to give a little rundown on Dexmetatomidine. Thanks for having me, bud. It was a pleasure.